Welcome back. Next, I'd like to read uh, Chapter 7 from my new novel, Higher Learning, An Idealist's Quest Through the Realm of For-Profit Higher Education. Chapter 7. The next day, Dan rose early after a night of maybe two hours of restless sleep, as he could barely contain his excitement about his first full day of work. He could not get the idea of a short course out of his head, nor think of a way to overcome the hurdle of needing new IBM-compatible computers for at least one of the labs to run the new software. He could not compromise and offer obsolete software on obsolete Apple IIEs. He'd just have to find a way. He showered, made coffee, and put on his best suit. By 8 a.m., he left his apartment, intending to be at work before the start of the school day. He stopped at a newsstand on the way to the 65th Street subway station to pick up a copy of the New York Times and his favorite computer shopper magazine, a thick, oversized magazine full of ads for closeout computers equipment alongside personal computer reviews. It is where he had bought his first MS-DOS computer with WordStar, MS-DOS 1.0, DBase, and no manual for just over $600, including a printer, more than 90% off its original retail price. It is also where he had scavenged for the cheapest components with which to build his first own fully IBM PC compatible system, purchasing a generic case here power supplies there, a motherboard at yet another place, and other peripherals in similar fashion piecemeal over a couple of months. The complete price had been about the same as his Canon AS100, which had only dual floppy disk drives that required special high-density disks from Canon. The PC-compatible system he'd built had twice the speed of the Canon and weighed less than half as much, and he'd included a relatively speaking huge first-generation 10-megabyte hard disk, which itself had originally sported a price tag of more than $3,000, and which he'd gotten used for little more than $100. He now intended to pour over his favorite magazine, for a way to equip one of the new computer labs, hoping to find a way to sell or swap the aging apples for newer low-end PC clones that would make it possible to run the state-of-the-art MS-DOS-based new business software. He arrived at work about a half hour later. His commute would take him largely against the rush hour mass of humanity moving towards Manhattan, as Pemty was to the east away from the heart of the city, though still within the city limits. The subways were still full, as they always are in any part of New York City in the heart of the rush hour, but much less so than the compressed bodies on the ride west toward Manhattan. He remembered that lovely woman with her exquisite perfume on the way to Manhattan school yesterday morning during his current ride to work, his cheeks coloring slightly at the memory. After getting off the elevator on the fourth floor, he noticed the receptionist already at her desk and on the phone, despite the fact that it was still about 20 minutes before 9 a.m. Good morning, Taisha, he said, after she hung up the phone and scribbled a quick message on a pink message pad. Good morning, Dina Moore, she responded with a broad smile. I did not expect to see you here so early, she added.
It's Dan. Please. I thought I'd get up early uh, my first day, he responded. Is Mr. Lance here yet? Uh, it occurred to me that uh, I don't have a key to my office. He won't be here until 9 a.m., but he left me a key for you, she said, opening her desk drawer and pulling out a small yellow envelope slightly bigger than the size of a key and handing it to him. The words Dean's Office were written on the envelope. You can go in if you like. Thanks very much, Dan replied, taking the envelope, removing the key, and adding it to his key ring containing his house, garage, and car keys. Could you please tell Mr. Lance uh, when he arrives that uh, I'd like to see him when he has some time for me today? Uh, sure, Dean. Dan gave her a mock frown and cocked his head. She immediately responded with a chuckle. I mean, Dan, I'll ring you when he's available, and I'm sure he'll want to see you as soon as he can, too. Meantime, I have a manual for your office phone. Uh, please let me know if you have any questions. Just dial zero to reach me at any time. Your extension is on the phone itself. It's 2527. To dial out, you'll need to dial 9 first, then the number. Your phone is unrestricted, so you can call anywhere you like. That's good to know. Thank you, Taisha. My pleasure, she replied with another broad smile. Dan made his way to his office, opened it, and placed the phone manual in his desk's top drawer. He then began to take inventory of the office supplies and various manuals in his desk drawer and on the bookshelves. He also noticed that the compact transportable had been placed on the second smaller desk in front uh, of his office across from his own desk, with a dot matrix printer next to it, taking up all of the desk's limited real estate. To his right, as he sat at his own desk, he noticed with a frown the large picture window to the common corridor that had no Venetian blinds or other means of providing privacy. That would have to be addressed, as he had no intention of being on display all day for passers-by. Within a few minutes, he heard a knock on his door and rose to answer it. Whoever it was had come from the opposite side of the corridor and had not walked by his picture window. Opening the door, he noticed Mr. Chang, the maintenance person. Good morning, Mr. Chang, he said to the Asian man of perhaps 65 years of age standing there. Good morning, Dina Moore. Uh, call me Dan, please. Yes, sir. I wanted you to know that uh, if there was anything you needed and to let you know that the books for the class starting on Monday have already arrived. Thank you, Mr. Chang. Do you have a bookstore? Mr. Chang gave a half-smile and replied, No bookstore, just me. I give out the books on the first day of classes to students who show me their IDs, and I check off each student against my list so no one gets a book who is not a student, and no student gets more than one book for each of their classes. Where do you give out the books? Dan asked. My office. I barricade the door with a small table and give out the books from there. I see, Dan said. Office? It was little more than a supply closet with a tiny table and chair. He did not see how the man could manage cramming boxes of books there as well, but apparently he did. He hoped he was being well compensated for his many roles, though he strongly suspected that was not the case. If you need any supplies or anything else, please let me know. I will order them for you. Thank you, Mr. Chang. Actually, I would like some Venetian blinds to be put inside of my office window. Uh, I need some privacy here. Uh, 
Don't you want to monitor the students? Mr. Chang replied, seemingly puzzled. I can open the blinds uh, during class changes when I'm not busy or working on student records or meeting with students or faculty, but not at other times. Uh, I will need to get Mr. Lance's permission before I can order and install the blinds. If it's a cost issue, I'll buy and pay for them myself, Dan offered. Uh, no, not, not cost, just policy. It has not been done in the 20 years I'm here because directors want their deans visible to students to, to keep order. I'm not a security guard, Mr. Chang, but I'll talk to Mr. Lance myself later and have him tell you if it's okay. As you say, Dina Moore. Just Dan, please. I don't need anything else for now, and thank you for all the supplies on my desk. I really appreciate it. You're welcome. Mr. Lance had uh, Jaime, your uh, lab tech, set up all your computer and printer stuff yesterday. I left two ribbons for the printer and an extra box of perforated plain paper, letter-sized computer paper, in the lowest drawer of your filing cabinet, which was empty, and a box of five and a quarter inch floppy disks on the top left drawer of your desk. The computer has a hard disk with DOS and WordPerfect on it, but nothing else. Jaime told me to tell you. Thanks again, Mr. Chang. I appreciate it. I'll let you know if I need anything else, Dan said, then added after looking at his watch. It's about ten to nine, so I need to head over to the conference room. To check the time cards? Mr. Chang asked. No, to meet uh, the faculty on my first day, Dan said, walking out of the office and walking off to his right toward the conference room. I'll see you later, and thanks again. As Dan walked into the conference room, he noted a flurry of activity there, with several faculty members waiting to punch in, and others sitting around the conference table or getting paperwork ready. Good morning, folks, Dan intoned to no one in particular, looking around the room. I'm glad to see you all again, and I'm looking forward to getting to know each of you in the coming weeks. This is my first day here, and I just wanted to say hello and to wish you all a good day. You know where to find me if you need anything or just want to chat. I'll be scheduling a quick lunch meeting for this Friday at noon, and would appreciate it if you can all attend. I'll provide a light lunch. Anyone with special dietary needs, please let me know. Otherwise, I'll have some ham and cheese, turkey and cheese sandwiches, uh, maybe some salad for us to break bread and chat for a bit. Uh, there are some things I'd like your feedback on. Meantime, I hope you each will have a great week. I don't want to keep you, Dan finished uh, and turned to head out of the room. As he did so, he heard his uh, lab tech uh, Jaime call out, don't worry, I'll verify the time cards for you, boss. He stopped and turned to Jaime, who had standing close to the time clock, having just punched in himself. I appreciate the offer, but I'll take care of that myself later. I really don't mind, Jaime insisted. I've been doing it for some time. Thanks, Jaime, but I will do that task myself from now on. With that, he walked out, started walking toward his office, and all eyes followed him out of the room. He noticed that what appeared to be a surprise in the faces of his faculty, though whether good or bad, he could not tell. It was not something he was going to worry about either way at the moment. Back at his office, he turned his attention to the filing cabinet drawers, hoping to get a better read about the 
types of data that may be there. He found, with little surprise, files on each member of the faculty in his top drawers and of his four-drawer filing cabinet. After a quick inspection, he had noticed that the other drawers were stuffed with sundry files with no apparent system. Many of the files uh, were not even labeled, and none but the faculty files contained tabs on the hanging folders. He pulled out the first four faculty files and quickly rifled through them, looking at the type of information that they contained. He found copies of letters of application, resumes, college transcripts, and personal information as to their degrees and competencies to teach specific courses. He also found copies of current and past teaching schedules, but little else. The same was true of the remaining files. There was nothing about annual evaluations, student evaluations, or related materials. He looked in the other drawers more closely, thinking perhaps that they were filed separately, but found nothing. He'd have to ask Marvin if those files were in his office, as he'd like to see them in order to establish a schedule for future periodic evaluations. He made a mental note to do so, just as his phone rang, startling him. Dan, this is Taisha. Mr. Lance would like to see you when you have the time. He's set to go right to his office at your convenience. Thanks, Taisha. I'll be there in a minute, he said and hung up the phone. He looked at his watch. It was 9.30 a.m. He headed toward reception, passed the double swinging doors, and looked into the several classrooms he passed on his way, noticing Miss Hunter sitting at her desk reading a magazine while most of her students were reading or writing in their workbooks, and quite a few were just leaning back on their chairs chatting. He frowned, making another mental note. As he passed reception, Taisha, who was on the phone, placed her hand over the receiver and told him, Go right in, giving him a warm smile. Thank you, he mouthed as she returned to her conversation, giving the address for Pempty and directions from the E-train. He walked through the single door to the administration wing and down the long corridor, waving to Bob as he passed his office, with Bob waving back as he talked animatedly on the phone, apparently with a client, extolling the virtues of Pemty's recent graduates. He made a right at the end of the corridor and was soon standing at the half-open door in Marvin's corner office. He knocked gently on the door, and Marvin looked up from whatever it is he was reading on his desk, giving him a wide smile and motioning him to come in while rising from his desk and saying, Good morning, Dan. Please come in and welcome. Good morning, Marvin. Thank you. It's good to be here. Have a seat, Dan, Marvin motioned behind him while pouring fresh coffee into a white china cup. How do you want your coffee? Black, please. No sugar. It smells heavenly, Dan said. Black it is, Marvin countered, offering Dan a steaming cup of coffee faintly smelling of espresso and hazelnut. Thanks very much, Marvin, Dan said, taking the cup and saucer in both hands and quickly taking a sip. Simply wonderful, he added, meaning it. So how did yesterday's meeting go? I had a report from the Melomets as soon as you left their office, but I'd like to hear your side of uh, things. I thought it went uh, well. Howard was kind enough to bring me up to speed on basic policies and procedures, and the meeting with the Melomets went far better than I expected. What I thought would be a quick courtesy meeting lasted for nearly a half hour, Dan said, taking another sip of the steaming coffee. 
Well, Marvin said, leaning back on his chair, you make quite the impression on the Melomets, and they are not easily impressed, believe me. They congratulated me for hiring you and said they expect great things from you. I've never seen them so excited. They both talked to me on the phone from Benjamin's office shortly after you left the meeting. They are particularly interested in your idea for a short course, though skeptical about your ability to get it through state ed, uh, and also about the cost of implementation. But no matter, they loved your entrepreneurial spirit and were genuinely excited about your thinking in that way even before starting the job. Look, Marvin, they basically asked me how I would make a difference, and I answered honestly. Maybe I shouldn't have before having the discussion with you in greater detail and seeing how you felt. I am sorry if I overstepped. Are you kidding? They loved it and think me a genius for both finding you and convincing you to take the job, Marvin replied, still smiling broadly. The only thing I'd caution you about is over-promising as they can be mercurial in their reactions, especially as to things that affect the bottom line. For now, though, they are extremely happy, and unless you royally screw up, I don't see that changing any time soon, he added. Then I better not screw up, Dan reported, uh, adding, uh, By the way, uh, do you have any information about SED guidelines for the course approvals? I do, and I already prepared a folder for you with uh, some basic information and the required forms. I can help you with this when you are ready to explore it in greater detail, Marvin said, then reached for a folder on his desk and passed it to Dan, who opened it and briefly thumbed through the materials. This is great, Marvin. I have uh, some things to figure out, but uh, but I'll, I'll put a rough proposal together, including some numbers on the technology improvements that uh, will be needed. Marvin's smile half evaporated on hearing this, so Dan quickly added, but don't worry, I will try my best to keep the actual cost to an absolute minimum, and will drop the matter altogether if I can't. I want to strike while the iron is still hot and I enjoy some enthusiasm from the Melomets, but won't propose anything that requires a significant capital investment. Don't worry about that. Hearing that, Marvin's placid smile returned to his usual full bloom. On another matter, Dan continued after a, another sip of coffee, can you tell me whether you have any faculty evaluations in your files? I could not find any in mine. Only for teachers that were fired. Your predecessor only did them when they had suspicions of a problem, such as too many complaints by students or issues with absenteeism. So the only ones I have in the files are those of dismissed instructors. So there are no regular class observations of the faculty or student evaluations? Dan asked. No, uh, keep in mind that all teachers here are employed at will, and there's no tenure, promotion, or union to contend with. It's pretty much straightforward. If you like them, they stay. If you don't, they get fired. No, I get that, but uh, don't you think that having regular evaluations would contribute to better quality control of teaching and possibly better support for teachers who evidence some deficiencies? Well, it's up to you, Dan. If you think it important, by all means, evaluate them any time and in any way you like. I'll always back up your judgment. If you're not happy with a teacher, you can fire them on the spot, regardless of evaluation. 
just keep in mind that you will need to replace them quickly. We don't have substitutes, and though you can assign your teachers to cover temporarily for someone you fire, as long as you make sure every period has at least one teacher free to take the load, work short term. I understand, Dan replied. I did not find any folders with applicants' resumes or any type of list of individuals who may be interested in teaching on an as-needed basis to cover for long-term illnesses or other exceptional circumstances. Do you by any chance have such a list? No, Dan. If you don't have one in your files, it probably was never created, or your predecessor threw it out. Either is a possibility. This concerned Dan. It would be one more thing he'd have to address quickly. Could I run Help Wanted ads in the local paper for business education faculty to build a resume bank in case I a need arises? I can authorize that. The cost would be under $400 for one of the local papers. But be aware that it could make your teachers jumpy if they see an ad and suspect one or more of them might be axed. You can be sure some of them read the Help Wanted ads at least regularly, looking for supplemental work or even greener pastures. We've had less turnover than most of our competitors or even our sister schools, but with a new dean, it might make some jumpy uh, and uh, want, to, uh, want to leave if they think you're looking to make changes. Shakeups are not unusual in our industry when there are changes at the top. I had not considered that. Let me think about it and see if I can find another way. But I do appreciate your willingness to authorize an ad if I can't find a viable alternative. Whatever you think best, Marvin said, smiling complacently. Two other things, really quickly, if I can just have a couple more minutes of your time, Marvin. Sure, Marvin replied. First, I'm going to have my first faculty meeting this Friday at lunch. Uh, I assume you won't have a problem with my bringing in some food for the group. I'll drive in and bring sandwiches, sodas, and dessert, as uh, well as paper plates, cups, and the like. Sure, Dan, as long as the cost is reasonable, I can pay for simple catering like pizza and sodas, if you like, from petty cash, Marvin offered helpfully. I appreciate that, Marvin, but I'd rather make some decent sandwiches myself, and uh, I don't want to be reimbursed. I want this to come from me and not just pay for pizza delivery. Uh, I wanted to make sure that you're okay with my bringing in food, though. Uh, I'll uh, park in the parking garage next door for the day uh, to make carrying the stuff in easier. Sure, Dan, no problem. Just uh, don't get them used to free lunches, or they'll expect it. Tell Jang to uh, carry the uh, stuff in and uh, help you set it up. Uh, not to worry, I don't intend on having faculty meetings more than once a quarter, and uh, if I feed them again uh, for that, it will be just pizza and sodas. I just want to have something different for the first meeting, a sort of good faith gesture. As for Mr. Chang, I won't need his help. I'll uh, take care of it all on my own. Well, it's not been done before, so I'd uh, be curious to know what their reaction is. Hope they don't bite the hand that feeds them, Marvin chuckled. Uh, what was the other thing? 
Uh, just a simple request. I'd like Venetian blinds on my office window that faces the corridor. I don't want to have every student peering in at me while I work. It is distracting and worse, makes it impossible to have any privacy when I'm working with sensitive student records or having meetings with student or faculty member. But you won't be able to keep an eye on students during class changes that way, Marvin noted. I can open the blinds during class changes when I'm not otherwise occupied, but I don't want to work in a fishbowl. Marvin considered for a moment with a blank expression, then looked at Dan and said, All right, Dan, I want to make you comfortable here, uh, so sure, you can have the blinds installed. Just tell Jang. Uh, I already uh, asked him, but uh, he said he needed your approval. All right, hold on, Marvin said, picking up the phone and dialing a four-digit extension. Jang, this is Marvin. Please measure Dina Moore's office window and order mini blinds. Uh, hold on a moment. Uh, then turning to Dan, he asked, Are one-inch mini blinds okay, or would you prefer standard-sized ones? And uh, what color do you want? Mini blinds are fine. Uh, bone or off-white is probably best given the wood trim on the uh, windows, Dan answered. Uh, make them uh, bone, Jang. Uh, Off-white or bone color. Uh, the type that are opaque, not that flimsy ones that you can almost see through. You can have them custom-made if they don't have the exact size available. And uh, make sure you get rush delivery. I want you to install them within a week, if at all possible, he added, hanging up the phone. Thank you, Marvin. I really appreciate that. No problem. Uh, can I get you another cup of coffee? No, thanks. I've got to get back to work, but uh, I'll call you if I have any questions later. You bet. I'm here for you, and I uh, want you to know that I'm glad you're on board. With that, Dan rose from his chair and shook Marvin's hand before turning to go, thanking him for his support. He then walked back towards the reception area and peeked into Bob's office uh, through the open door. Bob was looking at papers on his desk, so he knocked on the doorframe. Bob looked up and gave him a smile. Well, you're still here, and it's almost noon. That's a good sign. <laughs> a little longer, and you'll be the longest-serving dean in our history, he said, chortling. That's me, setting records already, Dan quipped. Uh, when are you going to go to lunch today? Oh, in about an hour or so. i got to finish some reports uh, for Marvin. Why don't you come by my office when you're ready, and I'll uh, go with you. My tree today. If you'll have no other plans, uh, you pick the place. Sounds great, Dan. I'll go by in an hour or so. Look forward to it. Meantime, I'll get some work down on my own, prioritizing the order of the next thousand or so things I need to get through, uh, done through this week. See you later, Dan said, walking through the door to the reception area on his way back to his office. End of uh, chapter seven. Thank you for listening.